Hey, this is Melissa, creator and founder of Femtrepreneur, and you're listening to Fem Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fem Radio podcast wherever podcasts are found so that you can be notified when each episode goes live. Hey, Fem Radio, this is Melissa Goncalves, and I am so excited to welcome back Liz Duran Streisand to Fem Radio. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to episodes 13 and 14, I strongly encourage you to do so after you listen to this episode or before. Um, you'll really get to get a better picture of Liz and how absolutely incredible she is. I mean, she's beautiful inside and out. She is a CEO, a founder, a mother of two. I mean, Like her ability to do all of the things is so inspirational and so admirable. I look up to her in so many different ways. And as you know, I've been trying to reach out to more of the people that I have interviewed and do more of a touch base and a sync. And I always wanted to interview Liz again, but definitely under different circumstances. I think quarantine and COVID has dramatically shifted so many business operations, but I was so excited to get Liz on this episode so that she could talk about how she made the switch for herself. So as you all know, Broadway is shut down. So her business is essentially the price line for Broadway tickets. So we really got to dig a little bit deeper into understanding how her business changed and how she was able to come up with a whole new concept called Broadway Mixers and how she actually believes that it's such a good idea that it might even sustain after Broadway opens back up. So it might even be a business that can continue as a different line of Broadway roulette. So we talk about all of the things on this episode, including management and what it's like to actually manage a team when everyone's remote and they're so used to being in an office. We talk about how she felt as a founder, finding out that all of New York City was going to be shutting down and the whole country would be shutting down and understanding how that would be impacting her business and how she snapped back into action with the amazing help of her great, great team, Um, So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hey, Femme Radio, this is Melissa Goncalves, your host, and I'm here with Elizabeth Durant Streisand. Hi, Liz. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you back on Femme Radio. We met about two years ago, recorded what I believe is episodes 14 and 15, because we did a two-parter. So I want to just, you know, anyone who didn't get to listen to those episodes, please go listen. They were absolutely amazing. Um, Definitely two of my favorite episodes that we've released. But I'd love for you to just reintroduce yourself to Femme Radio, who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, My name is Liz. I am the CEO of Broadway Roulette. Um, Up until Broadway closed, we were effectively Priceline for theater tickets. So you would log on to our site, tell us when you wanted to go, how many tickets you wanted. You'd give us a couple preference settings about things that you like and don't like when you're going out to see a show. And then you pay us a flat fee up front at the time of your booking um, that's based on the criteria that you've set. And then you basically like set it and forget it. You don't think about it again until the morning of your show. In the morning of your show, you get an email and text from us that tells you like, surprise, you're going to see Chicago. Um, and on the back end, we have an algorithm that runs that effectively takes all the data that you've given us and then runs a script to find the show that's going to be the best match for you. 
Um, you can use our service over and over and see a different show every time. So we have people that have used the service like 40 times and seen every show on Broadway for $49. <laughs> and um, we love those people. They're our best customers and they're great um, marketing tools for us. Um, and the, the big difference is between the way our platform was set up and other discount platforms like TKTS or like a Groupon is effectively that it's a black box. So since it's a surprise, we're able to get access to seats at prices for shows that you will not be able to find on public facing discount sites. Um, so people pay $49 and end up at like Hamilton and Moulin Rouge and Lion King. Um, and even if you end up at a show that does have discounted tickets, you're in a better seat. So the idea is just to give you a really like fun and easy experience to go see Broadway so that more people will go more often. I remember when we first spoke, I thought this was the greatest idea. And I think that both of us were just sitting there like, yeah, how come no one ever did come up with something like this? <laughs> so how far has Broadway roulette come? Obviously pre-COVID, right? You know, yeah. what um, I mean, I think when we met, I was, I had closed one round of funding at that point. That was $440,000 on I was in the Morgan Stanley Incubator, which is a, a great accelerator focused on uh, female and minority-led companies. So if any of you have those, you should apply to it. It's called the Mul Morgan Stanley Multicultural Innovation Lab. Um, and I think at the time we were doing like a half a million dollars. Uh, at that time, actually, by 2017 was a half a million. 2018, when we met, was about 1.5. Last year, 2019, we did 2.5 um, we had expanded to sort of include like package date nights where you could like click a button and give us some preferences and we would also like throw in a dinner reservation um, and do a few things like that. We started folding in shows that weren't Broadway shows. There was like a lot more curation going on and we were working on kind of gamifying the experience even more. Things were going great. Uh, this year we were, we were tracking up until March 12th to do $4 million in business. And then um, in one afternoon, Cuomo announced that there would be no more gatherings of 500 plus and then from then on our sales for tickets have been effectively zero. So there was quite an adjustment period, I would say. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I've had conversations with a few founders and CEOs where COVID was really that reality check where it's like, how do I make this adjustment so that I keep my business and that I don't just, you know, waste away everything that I've just built. So I want to get a better idea into like what was going through your mind. So, you know, suddenly February, early March rolls around, <laughs> what's going through your head? In February, I was very like a head in the sand business as usual. Um, I don't think I really got the message that there was a problem until Governor Cuomo announced that New York was in a state of emergency. Um, and even then, part of what was interesting about Broadway Roulette is that our customer base is not the typical Broadway theater goer. Mm -hmm. The typical Broadway theater goer is, um, you know, 55 plus tourist. So I think that a lot of ticketing companies, I think almost every ticketing company was seeing a, a tick down over the course of Q1 this year already. So they were kind of already feeling it. We, on the other hand, our customers are generally on the younger side and they skew pretty local like tri-state area so travel being worried about airplanes all that stuff didn't really affect them plus they just don't care as much because they're just not in a high-risk group right. so i don't think they were listening that much either at that point and so our sales you know for february january february march were 40 percent plus up year over year from 2019 while broadway as the industry was down five percent 
So I was like, everything's fine. Our customers will keep going. They don't care that there is this thing out there. And then when Broadway closed, I was like, oh, okay, now they can't buy tickets anymore. So now that's a problem. Um, where my head was at was like, honestly, it was besides actually like walking down the aisle at my wedding, I think it was like the most out of body experience that I've had <laughs> where like, I just, you know, my team left for that. We, we, when they announced that we had a, you know, a bazillion phone, we actually have a phone number on our website, which no ticketing company does. So we had a lot of phone calls. We sent out a blast email and then we basically started processing refunds and credits for people like almost within an hour. Wow. And also something other ticketing companies did not do, which is yep, yep. <laughs> um, so we started doing that. But once that kind of like frenzy was over and everybody left, like I didn't leave the office for I think like nine hours that day. Like the announcement came at like 1.40 in the afternoon. It was right before a matinee. The people were loading into a theater and then they had to load out because they weren't allowed to be there anymore. Um and I think I stayed at the office till like almost 11 that night. I, did, I didn't do anything. I just, I pumped because I had a newborn at home. So I had my pump with me and I just sat in my office after everybody left and cried. Um, and for like the next two weeks, no one came into the office. We were all started working remotely, but I would walk to the office. I couldn't do anything because I was just so, I, I just, I couldn't, like I wasn't in a headspace yet to like think productively, but I didn't want to sit at home all day with my children who were also not now going to school. Right. So I just came to the office and cried all day for two weeks. And my team continued to function and like do refunds and process credits. And by the time they were done with kind of that work that needed to get like slugged through, I was functional again. Um, and, you know, I sat down with my chief of staff and my co-founder who happens to be my husband and we looked at the budget, we looked at how much money we had, what our burn was, what are the fastest ways to cut everything. Um, didn't want to fire anybody, haven't fired anybody, haven't furloughed anybody. And then the next move was, we figured out we had enough runway for a long enough time that we felt pretty comfortable. Um, at this point, we thought the shutdown was going to be 30 days. Mm -hmm. It's now, it's going to be a year, but at this point we thought it was 30 days. And we thought we were all gonna be back up and running in April. Um, and so the first like two months, we didn't focus on trying to like sell anything because we just kept thinking Broadway was going to be back and we didn't want to build stuff that wasn't going to be useful. So we focused on, you know, fine tuning the algorithm and like building a membership program and talking about subscription and like, what are all these things that we never get to when we're too busy just with day to day on um, right. management. Right. And then when it became clear that this was going to be a much longer situation, we all sat down and said, what can we do to actually make money? Mm -hmm. And to also help the Broadway community because anyone in live entertainment right now is, is hurting. Like everyone is hurting, hair salons are hurting, everyone is hurt, like restaurants are hurting, but it's different yes. to say, it's different to say like, I'm open, but I have to operate at even like 25% capacity versus I literally like my industry is gone. It's just right. gone, it does not exist. Um, and, I think it's been really like almost like a spiritual experience. Um, I will say people's true colors have really come out both for better and for worse. Um, my team has been amazing. It, I, the best thing I ever did was hire an amazing team. And I had a team that was like, when I was mentally ready to go, they were right there with me and sat down and we brainstormed ideas of things to do next. And everybody was just like one foot in front of the other. And I really needed that. Yeah. Um, 
and other people, you know, people in the industry, like reaching out and being creative and trying to support each other and give work to unemployed artists who don't have the amazing unemployment benefits. Um, and that's been really interesting to watch um, all of that unfold. So in any case, what we actually decided to do was um, we launched this thing called Broadway Roulette Mixer, which is effectively like a watch what happens live meets Reddit, ask me anything with three Broadway stars over the course of 45 minutes. Um, there, the guests are a surprise. It's really fast. Each guest is in for 15 minutes. There are some surprise performances. And the whole idea is just to like bring some of the magic of live theater online without trying to like produce a play. Um, and that's been going amazing. We have amazing hosts. They're all like, they're all professional like journalist comedy host talking people who know how to keep a room really fun and keep it like light and breezy and been able to get amazing guests. So I think it's been a really interesting pivot and I think it's something that will continue even after Broadway's back. Yeah, how are you able to get these Broadway stars on board to do the Broadway Roulette Mixer? Um, the correct answer is we reach out to them because um, <laughs> that is what we do. The real answer is mm, we are, my team of five is we are hustlers like no tomorrow. So we reached anybody that any of us had ever been friends with, gone on a date with one of their friends, lived in the dorm room two years ago when they were in college with us. Any random connection we had, we DM, we just slid into everyone's DMs, like a thousand people in the course yes. of weeks. <laughs> and like we figured if we just did this enough times, some of these people would respond to us. And once some of them responded to us and they understood how easy this was, um, that we would get more of them and that's what's happened. I love that. I, you know, you don't get anything you don't ask for, right? So I guess it's, I it's worth it. We, you know, there's, I think as we, as it gets, becomes more established, there are like quote proper channels we can go through, right. um, which include like managers and marketing agencies and potentially producers. Sure. Um, but the beginning of it was like, let's not worry about fancy tech. Let's not worry about building anything. Let's just like use paperless posts to send the Zoom link out to our customers and let's not have any middlemen preventing the actors and the other talent from getting paid just like as soon as we hang up the Zoom call. Right. So, you know, it was like a very like fast, like Venmo style situation where we just want it to be, you know, basically like the pitch to them is you're going to click on this Zoom link. You're going to come into a room. Everyone's going to be psyched to see you. It's like 20 people capped. So it's a small group. They're all theater enthusiasts. Um, that's why they're here. They want to hear your stories. You're going to have a host guide you through it. You don't have to teach a class. You don't have to like perform if you don't want to. Um, we're just going to do like a quick Q&A. And before you know it, 15 minutes is up and you're gone. Wow. And then you're going to get paid without having to bother us. So, um, which is a big deal when you're a freelancer, which is a big, right. what we are now. So um, I just didn't want, there's proper ways to go through it where you're like, hi, this is a manager. This person has 20 people. We, we asked them if they can get us any of these 20. Um, but for the most part, we haven't done that yet just because I just don't want any, we didn't want any barriers to just like getting this up and running as, as quickly as we could and making it as easy as possible for as many Broadway artists as we could. Yeah. So what's the current product offering and how can people purchase tickets? Yeah. So if you go to broadwayroulette.com, it's the main, it's, 
it was a big day when we decided our homepage was no longer about buying Broadway tickets. That was a, <laughs> maybe a month ago. Um, it's like the main ticketing page is for these mixers. Uh, so if you just click on it, it will click on the mixer button. It will take you to the checkout page. Um, there are three different like consumer facing offerings. One is just like buying a ticket to an open mixer. There's a calendar. You like pick the one you want. You can join. If you want to join with friends for a basic mixer, you can, after you purchase, there's a prompt that's like, tell us your friend's email addresses. And if we have multiple mixers running at the same time, we will make sure you guys are in the same room. Oh, wow. um, there's also, you can buy out your own private mixer, which is actually much cheaper than buying all of the individual spots in a, in a standard mixer. It's $149. Um, the price to a standard mixer is $12.99. It's like super affordable. And the idea again is just to like, make it accessible and give people something fun to look forward to on like a Wednesday night when yeah. there still is pretty much nothing to do. It's a pretty limited selection. You can eat on the street if you can get a table. Um, <laughs> that's basically it. I don't think there's anything else yet. So I think the zoo is open. Um, but like, it's, you know, if you, if you actually want to like do something social with your friends that isn't just being on a Zoom call, this is like an interesting, fun thing to do to like add something to it. Um, and then, so the, the private one, you can like buy out the whole thing and people are using those for like birthday parties, baby showers, stuff like that. Things again, where like you can't have a, an in-person experience right now. And a lot of people that would have gone to Broadway with, for like a birthday are now using this to like bring their friends and like come meet three surprise Broadway stars. Um, and then the third option is basically you fill out a form that's like, I, I want a time slot that you don't currently offer. Or like I have these special requests and you fill it out. It sends us an email and then we return a quote to you um, for what it would cost to like put a custom mixer together. Cool. I love all this. I, I think it's pretty incredible that you managed to, well, that you and your team managed to really um, brainstorm this and evolve it into what it is today. Um, and probably at the perfect timing, right? Because they announced, when did they actually announce that Broadway would remain shut down. Was it like a month? Yeah, I honestly don't even remember. I guess six, like maybe five or six weeks ago. Wow. Um, I sort of stopped listening. Like, <laughs> like I, whenever they announce it's extended, I update on our Google reviews page and our Yelp listing, like Broadway's closed until, and then fill in the date. But um, I think, you know, the industry-wide, like nobody has a crystal ball, but industry-wide, right. the target date really is closer to like March. Shows that are rescheduling are rescheduling to start previews in March. Um, historically, January and February, just minus the two holiday weekends in there are pretty, pretty dire months for Broadway in terms of just like the, re the yearly sales cycle. Mm -hmm. So it would be strange probably to try to open anything in January, even in a good year. So I just think it's like not likely from a financial standpoint. Um, they want it to be when people are like thinking they actually might come back to New York. And, you know, once this, like, once they have figured out effectively how to open a theater, they cannot social distance for Broadway. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a vaccine or other measures in place that people feel comfortable you can be sitting directly next to a stranger for three hours and that you feel okay about it so right. you know I don't know when that will be Ugh. and there's uh, there's so much to unpack in the whole situation um I want to go back to what you had spoke about before you know when when Broadway first shut down and you know your employees were all working remotely um 
I think you had a very real moment that you that you touched on where you would walk to the office and you would just like sit there and like pump no, and cry. Yeah, like, <laughs> my, my mom was like, are you having a mental breakdown? And I was like, my psychiatrist says no. She says it's a good way to deal with it. So like, leave me alone. <laughs> what was like, what were your thoughts? Did you think like, this is it? Like everything I've worked no, for is over? I or? was like, my thought, it wasn't, this is it. Um, we have... I never think this is it because that's just not my personality. I, I'm just, when, when you look at someone, when you look at the scale of like, how much grit do you have? Like how much will you just stick with something? How many times we just get back on the treadmill? Like I am one of the people that will just, I will do it to a fault forever (laughs) um, until somebody is like, we're turning the treadmill off. You need to go home. So that's not my personality. I wasn't like, we're, this is over. We've also been, uh, to credit to my husband, um, we have been very, very conservative in our burn. Mm -hmm. And so we were not, there were other companies that were, as soon as the cash flow stopped from ticketing, they had, they, they closed, like that was it. They were done like within a few days and they will, they may come back because they've been like salvaged or bought for parts or whatever by other places. But, um, there was a lot of like, you know, shoes dropped or whatever the phrase is. Um, we had enough runway and our burn was basically divided into two categories. One category was Facebook ads. The other category was staff salaries. So we just cut the Facebook ads because there's nothing to advertise since we can't sell tickets. And then once we cut that, we cut our burn in half. So I was able to keep everyone not out of like charity, but out of the fact that I had such a small team and we actually need everybody in order to run the new product. So I was mostly like, in my head, it wasn't, oh, this is it. In my head, it was like, are you effing kidding me? Like, <laughs> that was, I mean, that was honest. And I still feel that sometimes. And I, try, I honestly, like, I'm listening to all these, like, 1960s psychotherapy positive thinking books that are, like, they're really, they don't age well, I will say, in, like, their examples. Um, but, like, I believe those things are useful because there is, there truly is, like, suffering is the result of you personally like dwelling on wishing things were different and thinking about the fact that I did something that is hard which is build a business Mm -hmm. we were growing at a crazy rate you know we had a lot of big plans for this year which were obviously just I mean to say like they slowed down I mean they just are gone for the foreseeable Mm -hmm. future and that like loss um it was like the a little bit like, I don't want to say the death of a child because that's not a good comparison for this. This didn't actually die. It was just like, it, it did feel like a big, big loss. Yeah. Um, this thing that I built was no more. And there was a long period. Well, it wasn't long, but it felt long. There was a period of four to eight weeks where I truly didn't know like which I did. I knew that we could basically just furlough everybody, keep all the money, go like hibernate until Broadway reopened. And like, we would be fine. We would come back, but that's, that is not what I wanted to do to my team or to myself or to my company. Um, I wanted to think of ways that we could utilize this time to be productive and to do something and build something meaningful. And it just took a while to get to the place where I was like ready to, there was a, there was definitely like a month of just feeling really, really bad for myself and being really angry. Like you've got to be, I mean, literally you've got to be up and kidding me like Broadway up until March 12th of this year had never, ever 
ever been closed for more than two days. Um, when 9-11 happened and the city was literally on fire, Broadway closed for two days. And I totally get this is a different situation, but like that is the baseline. Like there have been other right. epidemics and fevers and like Broadway has been around for over a hundred years and it just muscled through because the industry was like, we can't, we can't just stop. Like that, that'll be like the death of us. And this time right. it just turns out that you can stop and it won't be the death of you because guess what? It can't be the death of you. So um, it was mostly like, are you kidding me? And then when my co-founder, when, when Eric would say, we need to start thinking about ways to like make more money and think about ways that we can generate revenue, I um, took the opportunity to cash in on the fact that he's not only my co-founder, but also my husband to just like scream at him. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, my response was just like, it was, I, don't, I, I could not even tell you what I said because I don't remember. I'm sure he does. But it was basically like, you've got to be kidding me. Get away from me. Don't ever touch me again. Don't ever look at me again. Don't come to the office. You don't know what I'm going through. Go away. Um, it wasn't my nicest moment, but I just had no, there was literally nobody else to yell at. Right. Nobody else, nobody's here. He's the only person. Um, but he was right. And then what happened, which was uh, even maybe even a weirder experience, like mentally, was he suggested something about like putting content online and like trying to monetize it. And I basically was like, that's dumb. You're dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. Everybody, <laughs> everybody was putting content online for free. I'm like, I can't charge, I can't like charge people to watch Instagram live. Like that's free. And I don't know how to like put on a a play in front of a computer and I'm not going to learn how to do that. There's a million other people in the industry who know how to do that way better than I'm ever going to know in the next two months. Um, but then he said something about like maybe Zoom calls and I was like, that's dumb. And then I thought about it more and I thought about it more. And then I was like, well, maybe if it was a surprise, like you didn't know who was coming. So it did feel a little bit like it was in line with our brand. And then I was like, oh, and if it's a surprise, maybe we can get really, really famous people to do it just like how we throw Hamilton tickets in the mix, like maybe Patty Lapone will show up one time because we can tell Patty, this is like, you're doing this so that we can employ everybody else in your show wow. because then they can all get jobs because we're selling more tickets to this because people know that you show up sometimes. And then like once that started happening in my head in the shower, then I was like, oh, now I'm really fucked. Pardon my French. But like, <laughs> but then I was like, then I was, there was like two emotional things happening at once. One was this like, entrepreneurial nugget of like excitement where I was like oh this idea is cool and I happen to have 10 years of celebrity journalism experience including on camera so I know how to do these interviews so that even if people haven't seen the show that someone is in or the, that hasn't seen the sets they've designed I can ask the types of questions that's going to be fun and engaging regardless and I think no one else is doing this. And we know how to build a backend system for talent to sign up because of the mixer, because of the regular roulette. So like my head was already there. And then the other part of my head was like, you've got to be kidding me. We already did this once. Remember how that turned out? You want to start <laughs> over and like build a new business? Like, I don't think that's a good <laughs> idea. Like that was the two things in my head for like a month. And that continues, I mean, now it's less so because I see that the mixers have a lot of legs. And so it's right. easier to be excited once you have revenue coming in. Oh, but yeah. there really was like a, like being excited about it and then being like, 
angry at myself for being excited about a new idea because didn't I learn anything from how this other one turned out? <laughs> and, and it's not like it turned out badly. Like Broadway will come back. There's a lot of unknowns, but like I refuse to speculate about like how many shows will there be? What will the price point be? Like the one thing I do know is Broadway is going to need to get young local people back first. And that's the group of people that I have access to. So like, we will right. be fine. We will work it out. I also think if we can survive, my entire industry literally disappeared. Um, and we built something else that became profitable during that downtime in the same space with the same team. Like that's an amazing founder story. So, you know, personally from like a vanity standpoint, like there is no option for this not to work because I want this to work so I can go do cool stuff after Broadway reopens. I think the whole ability to switch gears, it's, I, I love like that. I, I love what you just watched through, right? Because it shows all of the thought process that, that you go through as a founder where you're like, no, that's a crappy idea. I don't want anything to do with that. Oh, but maybe that would work. <laughs> yeah, no, like you're like, this is a bad idea, but if we made these three changes, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea. And then you're like, right, this is right. annoying. Why am I still thinking about this? I'm still angry, right? <laughs> this, I'm still supposed to be mad. Um, but then I think the part that it was a, the, like the real tipping point for me where I got really excited about it um, was when I was actually, I was reading an article about how basically like, backstage and stage door is just, it is not going to exist for a while. I, I'm refu I refuse to be a naysayer who's like, it'll never happen again. Like, it's just not true. People love hanging out the stage door. It will be hard to keep like the teenage kids away when there's like the next SpongeBob on Broadway. Um, <laughs> but for a while it will be very, very strict and there won't be that kind of access post show. And I have all these ideas like, oh, once we have our user base already kind of indoctrinated into using the Mixer platform, we can like add that on to a Broadway roulette spin. So we know what show you've seen. And then as you're walking out of the theater, you can like click the link on your phone and log into your Mixer and like talk to the three people from Beetlejuice that you just saw on stage who are now backstage, like getting, you know, getting disrobed or whatever, like getting their makeup off. And you can, you can actually see what's going on and get like this cool little access point and I think that there's like some really interesting stuff like that, which historically would have been very hard to convince anyone to do, but now will be easier to convince them to do. And since we'll already have like the user base who is buying tickets and knows how to do this and will pay more for this, I think that that will be a really natural progression. Um, and I also think it's a way that shows, I think Broadway has, this, you know, historically they've been pretty opposed to like new ideas across the board. And I don't think anyone in Broadway would disagree with that statement. Um, so I don't think I'll offend anyone, but I think they now are aware that they're going to need some new ideas because the, they, there is a real fundamental, you know, problem with the fact that the group of people that buys most of the tickets is a group of people that's going to be the last to return. Just, right. it just is what it is. And I think that they're, they're going to have to think of some new ways to market shows, especially shows that don't have, fan bases built in so like anything new that is somewhat unknown and i think of mixers as now like a marketing opportunity for those shows to effectively operate like a book club where it's like yes. you get your actors you get your director you get whoever you bring them to me we put them on this call in front of 20 people who are super enthusiastic they talk to them about the show it's really under the pretense of like 
let's all hear about Broadway stories. But when they get off, all of these people now feel like they know somebody in the show. And I don't think there's anything more powerful to get somebody to go buy a ticket to the show they've never heard of than like, oh, I met the person who designed the costumes. Um, so now I want to go see that specific show. And I think that's a really interesting way that we can effectively act as like a direct sales channel to a group of people that will be available to buy tickets on the earlier side of kind of the return to Broadway. So when I realized all of that, that's when I got really excited and was like, what we're building here is not like a band-aid that we're then going to ignore when Broadway's back. Like this is another business and it's another revenue stream. And it's something that helps the industry in a lot of ways. And I think that because the industry is so quiet right now, they actually have the opportunity to potentially recognize how we're helping them. Uh, that's such a great point. I, I'm curious to hear what the feedback's been from the actual like attendees, right? And from the guests themselves. Have you gotten any feedback? Yeah, um, I mean, so that from the talent side, we have, we now, I'm, I'm happy to say we have a system set up where basically people that are Broadway professionals, um, we don't only use onstage talent. I actually love the behind the scenes guys. And that's because they have a, like, the people that make the costumes or that keep the, or that dress the people behind stage, like they have the best stories because they see it all. Like they're like these quiet flies on the wall um, and they don't have the same like public persona that needs to be protected. So you can get some really great, honest inside answers out of them um, that you can't necessarily get from someone who's like the lead in a Broadway show. Um, and Anyway, they, so we have a backend system where basically they can just sign them, sign themselves up um, and give us their availability. And then every Friday they get an, we send an email out that's like, if you're getting this email, you've been booked for next week. Um, and so it's super user friendly. And so our rebook rate from that side is like 85% or something crazy. Wow. Um, and then from the customer side, I don't know what our rebook rate is off the top of my head, but I can tell you from hosting a lot of the calls that there are the high rebook rate. And um, the feedback has been really good. If the feedback wasn't good, I wouldn't continue with it because it's just too much brain damage to like, I've, I've tried things before that have been not, they've been busts. They've had ideas that haven't worked. And I kept at them a little longer because you really want to make sure that you've exhausted all possibilities and you're killing it because it deserves to die, not because you didn't like give it a fair shot. Right. Um, this was like very clear right out of the gate within two weeks that, that it was, it was a, a winner. Um, the easiest indication of that from my perspective, even more than like the customer feedback, it's like written, you know, there's like reviews and stuff online now of this, of this process and of this um, product. So there's that, but even more than that, like the most telling thing is just like, did you buy another ticket mm -hmm. and are they selling? And the answer to those is yes. And yes. And we, you know, we haven't done any advertising, zero. We spent zero dollars on ads. I've had like two or three articles written about it, but nothing huge. And we are now covering about 50% of our burn with these mixers. So, you know, hope, we're, we're hoping, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that by the end of the year, we will actually be break even with only this product. Um, and as a founder, like that, nothing will give me more joy than telling everyone during my next fundraise, I don't need your money. Cause if I just want to keep running my business the way I am, I can do that. And I don't need you. Mm -hmm. Um, that is a, I mean, 
it's a weird, it's because you're so, free, you're, you're mostly not on that side of the table. You're mostly like, I really need your money. So <laughs> like, I'll do whatever it is you need. Um, and it's like not a good feeling. It's, I mean, fundraising sucks. Everyone knows fundraising sucks. Um, it doesn't mean you're not a good founder if you have a high burn or if you need more money. Um, and I may not get to break even, but like my plan is to get to break even with this. And it, it really is driven by this deep desire to be able to look at everyone on my team and say, if no one else gives us a dollar ever again, doesn't matter. You can still work here. Um, and we could always raise money and then grow faster, but that's a different situation than like, I have $30,000 in the bank and I'm here asking you for money and you're asking me like, how much, what's your valuation again? And it's like, the valuation's like made up because I have $30,000 in the bank and it's going to be zero if you don't give me money. So, you know, the, the, the leverage of that is something that I like deeply look forward to because I like security and you don't have that as a founder. So that is my personal, I don't know if everyone on my team would agree with that like goal or mindset or that they would think I should say what I just said, but I <laughs> truly, I don't think it's a secret to any of them. I hate fundraising. I think almost every founder hates fundraising. Um, if we could figure this out and build something valuable enough on a low enough cost that we can get to break even. So we have options that to me is like, I will, I will be extremely full of myself if I manage to do that. I, I like that goal. I have to say, I like that goal. And I remember your stories of your fundraising rounds very yeah. vividly. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we all have them. So I want to switch gears a little bit from more of um, the management side of things. So, you know, prior to COVID, uh, there was so much pressure put on this emphasis that we needed to be in the office, physically in the office to do our work. Um, How have these past few months showed you, uh, you know, like what, what has it taught you about managing teams and, you know, what have you learned? Um, well, I will start by just saying I did not have that mentality prior to COVID. Uh, my team worked at, we work out of an office that we honestly, I think we all love it. It's a great office. Um, one of our investors like built it and then had extra space. So we got to move into a place that was like lovely and in a fabulous location that's easy to get to. Um, so I didn't really mind it coming in. Uh, but that being said, the people who didn't need to be there or at times when you didn't need to be there, I definitely was not somebody who required you like at your desk. Um, my lead developer went to Thailand for six weeks and I was like, that's fine. Have a great vacation. Like you're all, I mean, she was still working, but like go work from the beach. As long as your work is getting done, I honestly don't care except we miss you. Um, and so I, I never really, I think because I came from a background where I was always an independent contractor who worked outside of an office. To me, it was just like, are you producing the work? Um, that said, normally my business requires like literal boots on the ground to like buy the tickets and hand the tickets out to some of the customers. And like, there was a lot of just like stuff that needs to be done in person. And obviously for that, people had to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is something to be said, I think, for sitting around a table, not staring at a screen, knowing that nobody else has other windows open, knowing that they're not on their phone and brainstorming about like, what's our business going to be now? Um, There are meetings I think that are hard to have over Zoom or phone. And I think that continues to be true. I I truly think human connection and like having people in front of each other, especially when you're trying to collaborate on something is is irreplaceable. 
but those are, you know, few and far between compared to just like what you need to get done in a day. So that's my take on that. When we can come back to the office, we will. I am, I am hoping my team will be back in the office this fall. Um, I had originally said September, but now that I'm kind of like seeing everything in the city, I'm like maybe October. Um, <laughs> like just, I, I want everyone to feel comfortable getting on the subway and coming here. And so I probably won't like require it, but I do want to encourage people to start doing that when it's safe. Um, just because I feel like I work better with people around me. Um, that said, being a man, being like a manager of people remotely is something I did not know how to do. Um, I did not know how to manage people in person until I hired people. And then I kind of learned on the job. So the, the you know, I guess that was good and bad for them because they got to help shape how I run things because they were my hires. Um, <laughs> But I kind of think I finally got that part down for the most part, and then we went remote. And so managing a team remotely is, is um, it, it's a different kind of challenge. I think for me, the biggest challenge has been like, how much reporting up do I want done to me so that I understand what's going on without having it take like a, too much time from my day? Mm -hmm. And then figuring out how much how much structure does each person need when they're not in the office to be successful? Right. And there's a wide variety in my person, in my team in particular about how much they want. Like, here is what you do from nine to 11. Here's what you do from 11 to two versus like by the end of the month, give me these things. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been a real learning process for me. And I, they've been very gracious as I have uh, made missteps and had to kind of backtrack and, and learn kind of trial by fire. I, I love that. I think it's, you know, I asked that question because in a lot of like corporate environments, you, you tend to have, you know, certain managers that like working from home and that appreciate it and give you, you know, all the flexibility you need. And then you might have others who are like, no way, there's no way you could possibly be as productive at home as you are in the office. And I'm like, well, now you have no choice, but to be okay with it. <laughs> There was a really funny like meme, I mean, this was months ago, but it was like, guess we're about to learn how many of those meetings really could have just been phone calls, right. all of them. <laughs> um, I don't think all of them. I do think that there is an element of like, I think if we were in the office, we would be getting more done. I, I continue to believe that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're getting an amazing amount done working in the parameters with what we've been given, with what we have, and the tools we have to operate with. So um, I think everyone's doing a great job. I'm not somebody who's like t trying to have like a time punch clock when we're working remotely, but we do have set structured calls at the beginning and ending of the day and, and check-ins throughout the day um, individually as needed. Uh, and we have this one working document that's like, what are you working on? And we've we've gone from like list everything to just like list the top three things for the day. And it's right. meant so that people know kind of what's going on on it's, it's a tool for me to know if I can interrupt somebody or not. Right. Um, if they're working on something that I asked for them by a certain time, I try not to interrupt them if it's like show that they're working on that. But it, it is a lot of just like you do your best and it's definitely imperfect because keeping all of those kinds of things up to date takes time away from actually doing the work. So it's just, yeah. um, I, you know, they, we are all doing our best with that. We know what the things are that actually must get done. We're getting those done. And then anything else on top of that is kind of treated like, like bonus. 
Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot to be said about companies like yours who are essentially now you're shifting gears, you're creating like a whole new business within your business. Um, right. So I can't imagine the difficulties of having to actually do that remotely. Although yes, it's feasible. Um, it's so much easier to brainstorm when you're all just sitting around a table <laughs> and yeah. in front of each other. It is. Um, I mean, the other thing that happened in the middle of all of this was that my chief of staff, who's like second in command, had a baby. Oh, um, so back in like January, I was extremely stressed that she was going to have a baby. And then even though we, I, I've known her, you know, she worked for me for a year at that point. I know she's like super responsible. She understood what the maternity leave situation was. I was still really nervous that like she was going to have a baby and just kind of disappear or like get totally overloaded, not be prepared <laughs> for it. Cause it, it's a little hard to prepare for your first one. Kind of just right. like you get as prepared as you can and then you just go for it. But, um, it's, it's charming now to look back on that and like talk to her about it. And be like, remember when like my biggest concern was that you were going to be absent for the month of June? Like <laughs> that was my biggest worry. Um, but there's been like random silver linings, like both she and I got to spend way more time with our newborns because of COVID. Right. Um, and you know, like my first child, I nursed him for four months and like could not get away from that fast enough because I was just so busy and it felt like such a chore and, um, my daughter now is 10 months as of yesterday. And like, I am just a, like a wrapped around, like she's going to hate me by the time she's three. She's going to be so sick of me because I just like love her so much. And I'm like still breastfeeding. And like, it's, I'm, a, I'm just like, I don't know who I am, but it's been like, it's been nice to have that part, but it's because I quarantined because the whole time that Benjamin was like doing all those cute baby things, I wasn't around that much because I was at work and like, this time like I was at work but also I not only was I home but like I couldn't even have childcare. so like I was also taking care of her while I was working and that that sucks I don't know how anybody is doing that <laughs> uh, I mean that really almost killed me like I I I thought I was tired in 2019 but in like March by the end of April of this year like I was not human um and I, but the flip side is like, it was great to get all this extra time and like know her personality so much better. And right. my chief of staffs, you know, her husband was unexpectedly home. So she affected like her maternity leave was kind of like a joke because she was <laughs> home and working. But the nice thing was she really did. She kept track of her own hours and like took time when she needed it. But mm -hmm. I had always presented to her that it was going to be a flexible situation. I didn't want her to stress too much about it. Um, because I know what it's like to have a new baby. And I also know how diligent she is. And I know that she's going to be harder on herself than I'm going to be. So right, right. whatever she thinks is an adequate amount of work is definitely an adequate amount of work. Um, and it ended up just being even way more fluid than that than expected. But I think it actually worked out really nicely. And, um, you know, so there's some small silver linings. If we end up getting to break even and or build another product now that has another revenue stream that is not tied to, I can only sell tickets to people who are located in New York, that is also a huge win. Yeah, I, first of all, I'm cracking up thinking about um, your story with your daughter versus your son, because oh, I remember when we, when we spoke about, when we spoke on our last episode, I think like one of the direct quotes was like, it's so great that you're taking your first steps, but like mommy's building a business right now. Yeah, like, I, wasn't I love it. I wasn't there for any of that. And I honestly, it wasn't like I, it's not even like now I look back on it and go like, oh, I wish I had been there. Like I regret right, it. Right. It was like different time. Like it was a lifetime ago. He's fine. Someone <laughs> was there. They videotaped it. They taped it for me. Like, it's fine. 
but it's just so strange because now it's like I like she she's 10 months old and like she's sick of me like I come home and I'm like let me just, <laughs> like I just like want to snuggle with her and hang and ben, my son is just like you're weird what are you doing <laughs> I'm just not like that with him but I think I mean I'm, I'm affectionate with him but it's just not the same right like, right. like emo like she sleeps in my room which is like, Aww. he was sleeping through the night by himself. I wasn't getting up. Nobody was checking on him from like uh-huh. eight weeks old, practically. Uh-huh. And That's she's incredible. 10 months old. And like at night, she's like, eh. And I'm like out of bed, ready to like <laughs> hang out with her. Like, I get up in the middle of the night and like make her hang out with me. And eat, I, eat, I eat cookies and drink milk and like play with her on the floor. And then <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired. And my husband's like, why do you keep getting up in the middle of the night? I'm like playing with her for an hour. <laughs> I love that. That's, I feel like that's going to be incredibly relatable for a lot of the moms out there. Well, it's like you, you, you have no choice. <laughs> like, I, I, I think that, the, I mean, I think that when, when Broadway comes back and or when we hit up first, like, break even, that will be, like, the happiest day up to this point. I guess my children being born was also really happy days, but I actually think one of those other two days will be, like, the happiest day of my life up to this point. <laughs> But um, Broadway coming back, like, will be an amazing, amazing day. But in the interim, my happiest day of my life up until now is currently my nanny return, having child, my professional childcare <laughs> return. Like, I, I honestly don't know how people are managing who have kids that are school age that are not going to go to school this fall. Like, I... I don't, I have so many friends that their kids are going to be doing some form of like online plus occasional in-class stuff. They don't have, the school starts in like a week. There's no schedule yet. They can't even like make a plan. It's like, oh my I, I don't get it. Like Benjamin should be, in, he's four. He should be in preschool this year, but I am basically of the mental, I've basically checked out of the system and I'm like, we're just right. not doing that. I will homeschool you for preschool. You'll be fine. Like, I'll teach you how to read between now and next fall, 2020. <laughs> but, like, I'm not going to kill myself to try to work around some nonsense school schedule that's right. totally garbage. Like, Agreed. it's complete garbage to have a four-year-old on Zoom all day. And I'm sorry Agreed. to anybody listening to this who is going to have to do that, but, like, it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It. They can't learn. It's one thing for, like, an 11-year-old who's learning real math. Like, the whole point of sending a four-year-old to school is to learn how to interact with humans. If you're just on a screen all day, it doesn't teach you that. Right. No, it's, it really is just such a, such a messy time, but I know so many parents that feel the exact same way you do. And they're like, but what am I supposed to do? Go send them to get sick at school. Like I'm not yeah. doing that either. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's really, really, really hard. So I, I literally bought a book about, it's called like the classic education or something. And it's literally like, here's how to homeschool your kid. And I'm like, That's, wow. I'm just going guess what, Benjamin, you're going to homeschool for preschool. So um, I don't know that I will be the one doing all of the homeschooling, but like I, I am very, basically we unfortunately, like the short story is we had him in a private school. We didn't want to pay the balance for the next year when they wouldn't guarantee there was going to be classes. Right. So we lost the spot and lost our deposit. And I hadn't enrolled him. I hadn't signed him up for like universal pre-K because I, there was no reason ever to think that he wouldn't just be going to school at the place he went last year. Right. So he has nowhere to go and I refuse to pay for something that I don't know what it's going to be. So homeschool it is. It'll be fine. I mean, for me, it will be fine. I have a great, I have great childcare there. I think that like 
activities for kids will come back before school in a regular format because like you could have different kinds of classes that are socially distanced for a very limited period of time that in an easier way than like classrooms of kids yeah um but I it's just like there are certain things where I've just had to decide I'm not going to worry about that I'm just going to see what happens because there's just too many other things to worry about I only have so much space in my brain I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Liz, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I wanted to give you a moment to just let everyone know, you know, where they can go to yeah. buy tickets um, and any additional information that we might have missed. Yes. Um, all right. So just go to broadwayroulette.com. You can like check out our site. You can pop around. There is remnants of ticketing if you're interested in that. Um, just to like see what it looks like and see what the, how the checkout page is, but, um, go to broadwayroulette.com and you'll be taken to the mixers. Um, our Instagram is just at Broadway Roulette. And then we have a new Instagram, which is at Broadway Mixer. Um, and we basically post like fun quotes and little snippets from the mixer, little video, short videos. Um, but we actually don't record the mixers intentionally and we don't, we disable recording for anyone attending. So the idea is kind of like going to a live show, like a live theater show where you don't record it. It's different every time. And that's part of what makes it a little bit special. Um, but we do give kind of snippets on there that I think are really fun. So please come follow us. And if you have general questions, if you're looking for internships, anything you want to know, feel free to send us an email at info at broadwayroulette.com. Um, we do actually check those and we do respond to all. <laughs> we do actually check them. Yes, we do check them. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Awesome. Liz, yep. thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was so great to reconnect with you. Yes, it felt like the last time. So fresh and fun. <laughs> I know. Good. It'd be great. Um, well, congratulations on your podcast. I will make sure to spread the word. Do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? Send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F E M M E T E E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag get femmed.